want you to take your Bibles out and turn with me to the book of Revelation, if you would, this morning. I think we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. Just to recap a little bit, um, we have been doing a series on divided truth. um, And unfortunately, we've had a little glitch, a technical glitch in our recording equipment. So um, half of them haven't been recorded. So if you're wanting to... Uh, get those they're not available so what you get you get on Sunday morning and I hope you got it because I can't reproduce it you know much of what I say is not in my notes so uh, to try to go back and do the same sermon again is just impossible can't do it and in fact I've tried to preach sermons that I've preached before and they never come out the same you know because the Holy Spirit always prompts something different and something that may be relevant to the time and so they're all unique and they're all different uh, so this morning I thought we we are recording today. Uh, hopefully nothing goes haywire on us electrically. And uh, I thought maybe it'd be good just to recap uh, briefly to help you understand where we've uh, what we've covered and where we're coming from. Uh, portions of the Bible are written in what we call apocalyptic language, and um, that just simply means to uncover or to unveil. Uh, it's written in symbols. It's written in imagery. Some of it is written in numerical language, or it has numerical patterns or meanings, uh, like the number three, for example. We, we saw that in the arms um, lesson the other night. The number three actually stands for the Trinity, stands for unity, stands for social order. We see the number three in many places. In fact, everything exists in Trinity. So that number is very significant. You have an egg, it has a yolk, a white, a shell. You have a body, a human body that has the, the human man is made up of the body, the soul, and the spirit. Even the universe. And I thought that was really interesting. And I, I've pondered, see those things trigger thoughts in my mind and I just build on it. And I thought about that after I left, you know, how the universe is in Trinity. And it occurred to me that we are living in what is known as the first heaven. Everything from the ozone layer to where we stand, you're breathing in the first heaven. The outer part of the ozone layer or the solar system, actually the universe, is called the second heaven. And then Paul was caught up into the third heaven, which makes up the universe. The word universe comes, the word unity is in that. So it's a part of the trinity. Everything operates and exists in trinity. Uh, he pointed out there's a physical realm, a social realm, and a spiritual realm. And I'm not going to build on that, but I thought that is so interesting. The number six is significant in the Bible. stands for man. Man was made on the sixth day. The number in the Revelation is 666, which is the number of man, it says. Uh, the number seven is a number that's used for perfection. The number ten is a number that is used in the Bible for completion or wholeness. There were ten laws. And we're going to see the number 10 this morning in what we're preaching on today. So while some of the scripture is written in apocalyptic language, major portions of it is written in very clear and just plain, distinctive narrative. In other words, it just says what it says. You don't have to spiritualize anything. You just read it, and what it says is what it means, you know. And so when we rightly divide the word of truth, we have to understand what is plain narrative and what is apocalyptic language. And this has caused a lot of confusion over the centuries in trying to understand the word of God. But as I study it and the more I study it, the more really clear it is and the more it's easy to understand. It's not really that hard to understand when you put everything in its proper place. 
and you rightly divide the word of truth. Problems arise and major errors occur when you try to take apocalyptic language and force it upon all the Scripture to make it all mystical and spiritual and hard to understand, when really it isn't. It's very simple and it's easy to understand. So we have identified a few of those problems in this series. Now, we can't presume to, to try to correct all distortions in Scripture in just one single series, but we have identified a few uh, that often affect many Christian churches and many Christian believers throughout the ages, uh, the least of which is not uh, <clears throat> the uh, teaching on universal salvation. And we talked about that, the ecumenical movement where uh, it's become a real popular belief that all religions are the same and that they are equal. And, and they try to teach in that belief system that Christianity, we're all going to the same God. We all pray to the same God. Some, this guy calls him Buddha, and these guys call him all these Hindu gods, and this guy over here calls him Allah, but it's all talking about the same God. Well, we don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure, or a scholar, maybe, I should say, or a Bible theologian to understand that is not correct theology. All religions are not equal. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was Jehovah God, is not Allah. And he's certainly not that little guy squatting, that guy sitting over in China, you know, Buddha. <laughs> you know, and he's not all those little monkey gods and those Hindu gods. You know, he's not all of those things, you know. So this universal salvation, we know and we can clearly see the error of that and address that. But the one that confuses the church many times is whether the Jewish faith comes into the church. Because that is where our roots are, is in the Jewish faith. And we have to understand that the Jewish form of belief and the church, the Christian form of belief, are two different things. Because they renounce Jesus Christ. They reject Jesus as Messiah. And so we're, we're not a part of that faith. We are a part of the Christian faith that says that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is not only the Son of God, He was God Almighty. According to the prophets, you know, Isaiah said His name should be called Emmanuel, which means Almighty God with us. You know, so he was God. And so, as a part of that confusion of how we relate to our roots, there was another teaching that came on the scene, and it actually came on the scene during the time of the writing of the Bible. And the very first one, the church was born, called Replacement Theology. And it takes the church and tries to replace Israel with the church. And the church doesn't take the place of Israel. And we have learned that God is dealing with Israel independently, and he's dealing with the church independently. And so we don't believe in covenant theology. They also call it kingdom now theology, the Jewish roots movements, the Hebrew roots movements. And some of those things have crept into the church, and I had never really addressed it. So I've taken the time to take, do this series to address those things because they're important. The Bible addresses those things. In fact, Paul mentioned it in every letter that he wrote. John, in the book of Revelation, mentions it in the letters to the churches. So if there's that much narrative given to it, it must be pretty important to God. Now, I also wanted to point out that when you run across people, and just yesterday I had a conversation. Uh, some of you know Fred Schmidt. He's a Jewish evangelist. I've had him here at the church a couple of times. Well, he stopped by the church yesterday when we were out uh, selling the trees. And I had a conversation with him, and we talked about some of this. 
And I, and I told him what the series that I was doing. And he said, he said I, I deal with these people all the time. One guy, he said, I, I've tried and tried to explain it to him. And he says to me, we are all Jews. The only people that aren't Jews are you Jews. Talking to Fred, and he's a Jew, you know. I mean, he's, I asked him, what, what tribe are you from, Fred? He said, I don't know. But this, this is a problem in the church because there's great confusion about that. And when we run across those people, we have to remember now that many of them love the Lord. They're good Christian people. They're, they've just been drawn into this thing. And so the Bible tells us to gently correct them. In 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26, it says, In humility, correcting those, those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Now that should grieve our heart. Because they're caught in a snare. It's a trap. They can escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Because a lot of these people don't realize you're doing what Satan wants you to do. You are serving him, although you think you are serving the Lord. And so we see that Israel and the church are two distinctly different things. And God deals distinctly with Israel, and he's going to deal distinctly with the church. And we see that when, when Paul, in the book of Acts, he went, remember he went to Antioch of Poseidon, and he preached, and the Gentiles heard him and said, Next Sunday will you come and preach to us? And then the whole city showed up. And when they showed up, the Jews were jealous and contradicted him. And he said, it was fitting that the gospel be preached to you first. But since you have counted yourself unworthy, we turn to the Gentiles. For it was written that we will be a light to the Gentiles. And God began to turn his focus from the nation of Israel and turn it to the church. And we entered a new period of time called a dispensation. It's called the dispensation of grace. It's also called the age of the church or the time of the Gentiles. If you remember, we looked at Romans chapter 11, verse 25. It says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. We are in that time of the Gentiles right now. It's called the age of the church. Or the dispensation of grace. And so I begin to turn our attention to what God was saying to the churches. And so we moved into the book of Revelation where it's kind of condensed God's message to the church. And he addressed the seven churches of Asia. We looked at the church of Ephesus, which was the misguided church. They had left their first love. And we looked at the church of Pergamos. Because they had left their first love, they started on this downhill slide. And they became self-centered. I don't care about you. I don't care about you just so I'm okay. You can go to hell and you can go to hell, but I don't want to go to hell, so I'm good. And that's all I care about. And so they, they didn't deny the faith, but they wouldn't contend for the faith. They allowed the teachings of the Nicolaitans to come in and the teachings of the Balaamites to come in. And they wouldn't do anything about it. And as soon as the door was open and Satan saw these people aren't going to stand for anything, in comes the church of Thyatira. And in comes that spirit of Jezebel. And she brings in all of the sexual perversion and the teaching of prosperity and the Baal worship that we, so, we see so much in the church today. After that, the church began to die spiritually. And we see Sardis. It says, you have a name that you live, but really you're dead. 
And that which remains is about to die. Strengthen that which is about to die, he says. And then we go from there to the church of Laodicea, which I preached on last week. That church had actually died. But one thing I want to point out before I move on. Even with the church of Laodicea, he gave them an opportunity to repent. And I believe that possibly some of them did repent. Because, see, these are speaking specifically of a church age, but it's also speaking of church, the church life in general. Are you with me? And so I believe that even those who find themselves, even today, with that Laodicean church attitude, that you're neither hot nor you're cold. You're just lukewarm. He said, I would rather you be hot. I would rather you be cold. But because you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth or I will reject you, he says. And even those that find themselves with that attitude, they can repent and say, God, ignite a new fire in me. Lord, fan my flame. Give me a new passion. I realize that I'm not doing anything for you, God. Fire me up, God. Give me a passion. Amen. I mean, I've been in some of those churches, brother. I've been in some of those churches. So you're being just, no, I just know what I know. You've got discernment, right? And if it's dead, brother, hey, you don't have to walk up to a casket and wonder, is that guy dead? I mean, he's dead. You can see that. Well, I've been in some of those churches, brother, they were dead. They needed resurrection. But even those, God can bring life back into them again. Man, we've spent 20 years praying for revival to come to our neighborhood. And if I was living in Connecticut, I'd be praying for revival to come there. If I was living in South Carolina, I'd be praying for revival to come there. But I want revival in my neighborhood. Amen? Now, all the churches. Man, I, I was so excited when we planted CVAG to hear that other new churches were beginning. Because you've got to understand, in this area, there hadn't been new churches in years, decades, maybe even centuries. And we planted this church, next thing you know, somebody else is starting a new church. It was something with life in it. We sat in the parking lot at Food Line. You remember that? And we looked at that vacant lot over there where New Life is sitting. Jeannie and I sat there. And we said, Jesus, there needs to be a church right there. And we pray over that property right now in Jesus' name that you raise up a mighty work to the kingdom of God right there. And now New Life is sitting there. I rejoice in that. I pray for revival to break out in that church and it just bust out of the seams. See, if our church grows, praise God. If it stays the size it is, praise God. I want to see revival come to the region. It don't have to come to CVA. I hope it does. I believe it will. But I pray that God just bless the churches, all of them. Let your spirit come. Amen? One other thing I want you to know before I move on is in each of the five apostate churches, there were those that Jesus had something good to say about except Laodicea. And there were those that he had something in the church that they were doing something that he had criticism or he condemned them for. All five, it's interesting that there were five. And there were wise people in each one. Even Laodicea, I believe some repented. I hope they were wise enough to repent. And there were wise and there were foolish. And so we see the ten virgins. There were five wise. There were five foolish. Five were taken in the wedding. Five were left behind. We may be talking about that a little bit next week. Now, 
I want to focus this morning on the remaining two churches, and I'm going to finish up the, the teaching on the church age. And next week, we're going to actually be talking about God's dealing with Israel. Now, I can turn your attention to uh, chapter 2. We'll start there, and then we're going to go into chapter 3. Chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. Let's pray before we do that. Father, I thank you, God, that we can come and sit under your word. Lord, your word is the bread of life. It always feeds our spirit, man, God. Lord, we feed our flesh, Lord. We really take good care of our flesh, Lord. But many times our spirit, man, is weak and it's anorexic, God. It needs nourishment. And, Lord, we know that your word is the bread of life, God, and it nourishes our spirit, man. So, God, I pray today, God, that you give us nourishment through your word. Teach us, Lord, what we need to be doing in the closing hours of the of the, this time period that we're in, God, the dispensation of the church. Lord, we want to go out, God, not just not even notice that we were here, God. We want to go out and make a difference on our way out, Lord. Father, when we're gone, we want the devil to say, thank God they're gone. Lord, we want to make a difference while we're here. So, God, just breathe life into CVAG this morning through the reading and teaching of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 8, it says, And unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead, and that's important that he points this out, which was dead and is alive. Amen. Aren't you glad Jesus is alive today? Huh? He was once dead, but he's alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. Now that, just look this way a minute. That just struck me so interesting. Because the church of Laodicea said, we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But you don't know that you're naked, wretched, poor, and blind. They were poor. They had money, but they were poor. This church, they don't have any money. But they're rich in the eyes of God. Isn't it something how he measures economy? Huh? It's not in the size of your bank account. Huh? It's the treasure that's in your heart. Amen? He says you're in poverty, but you're rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not. Isn't he interesting that he would point that out? Because this is something that he's dealt with throughout church history. This replacement theology. The people saying, we are the true Jews. No, they say they're Jews, but they're not Jews. In fact, he says, but they are not, but they are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which shall which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Now, I told you the number ten is significant. Ten days actually represents completeness or wholeness. In other words, this ten days represents all of church history. The entire church history, not just Smyrna. Because actually what you're going to find out is the church of Smyrna is represented in every one of the churches and throughout all the church age. You will suffer for ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit has said to the churches. He that overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. Now you'll notice in this letter he had no criticism of this church. It was one of the faithful churches. There were five apostate and two faithful. Smyrna was one of the faithful churches. And it represents those that are dead in Christ Jesus. Or those that have been martyred. They have been given their life for the cause of Christ. And in this church, it says that they endured tribulation. 
And it says, and you're going to endure tribulation for ten days or for a com- completeness of church history is what that's actually referring to. So we look at it and say, well, what, what tribulation is it referring to then? Because sometimes we see that word and we want to associate it with the great tribulation or the seven-year tribulation period that is prophesied that will come to pass in the book of Revelation as well, later on. Uh, but you have to understand, again, the hermeneutical law of interpretation, the science of interpretation. In, in Revelation 119, he said, Write those things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be metatota, the things immediately after these things that are present. And so right now, he's writing about the present age. The church age. And so he's saying during this church age, during this period of time, you're going to suffer tribulation. So we look at it and say, well, that's not talking about the great tribulation, the seven-year tribulation. What tribulation is it talking about? Well, from the very birth of the church, the church has been persecuted. Because you remember that he told them, the last thing he said is go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes shall be saved. He that does not believe shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe, and la, la, la. Well, they didn't do that. They didn't do what he told them to do. They all hung out in Jerusalem. Because they're no different than us. See, they're hanging out under the spout where the glory pours out. Amen? Come on. Don't we do that? I mean, we hear there's a revival over there. Man, we run over and like, give me some. Woo! I want to get a touch. I want to get a goosebump. Yeah, hallelujah. <laughs> and people do. Christians do that. And then they hear the revival over there and they run over there, you know. He didn't tell them to do this. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But they didn't. So the next thing you know, the, the, uh, the emperor takes James prisoner and cuts his head off. The very first martyr of the church. Cuts his head off. Well, he wasn't the first martyr. He was, well, was he the first martyr? I don't know exactly who the first martyr was, but anyway, he was one of the first martyrs of the church. And after that, it says they dispersed from Jerusalem. And so it's a shame that it took the death of their brother to get them to do what they were supposed to do. They're people just like us. You know, it was one of the greatest revelations in my biblical study as a young Christian was to realize that all these men that I'd heard about when I was a child, Peter, James, and John, and Moses, and all those guys, they were just people. And I'm like, they're no different than me. They're just people. And if they did it, well, what's stopping you and I from doing those things? They're no different than you. And so they went out and they finally began to do what God told them to do. And man, the persecution began. There was an emperor named Nero. You ever heard of Nero? Oh man, this guy, I mean, he actually bathed that part of the world in the blood of Christians. He would take Christians and dip them in oil and impel them on stakes and light them on fire to light his courtyard. And he would ride around his chariot and look at burning Christians, using them as oil lamps to light his courtyard. Then they, he would bring them to the Colosseum. Christians now. We, what tribulation? He would bring them into the Colosseum and, and they would disembowel them. And they would tie ropes to their legs and tie them to wild bulls. And the, the auditorium, the Colosseum, would be filled with the Roman people. And they would turn the bulls loose and rip them in half. They would put animal skins on them and turn wild dogs loose and watch them as they would just rip the Christians apart. Burn them at the stake. Every atrocity you can imagine to try to wipe out Christianity. But it's still here, amen? 
And the more they fought it, the more it grew. See, when persecution comes, it's a good thing in a way. Because every time the church has been persecuted, it has always grown. Amen? And so when persecution comes, don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Because sometimes it's a, man, it just, all it does is make me mad. Tell me I can't. I mean, it's a stubborn pride. I don't know. Is there such a thing as a good pride? I think so. God's proud of you, right? And especially when it comes to the devil. Tell me I can't do something? Well, right? I mean, who's like that? Come on now. Tribulation, sometimes it makes you a better person. So we say, what tribulation? The dark ages, when it was, the word of God was taken out of the hands of people and locked away. And people that tried to serve Jesus, and I mean, there's a blood trail all the way through history. Look at the Inquisition. When, when they would try to, the Roman Catholic Church, and I'm not here to bash the Catholic Church, but I mean, history is history, right? If you wouldn't come under the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church, they would purge you with torture. To try to get you to renounce your Protestant belief and come under the Catholic Church. Millions of Christians were slaughtered in the Inquisition. And then we see they were called heretics because they wouldn't, uh, wouldn't uh, uh, comply to the Roman Catholic Church. Then in 1478 to 1558, we see the Spanish Inquisition. Where they nearly wiped out every Protestant in the, nation, in the country of Spain during that Inquisition. If you read the Fox Books of Martyr, anybody ever read that? You should read that. Fox's Book of Martyrs. It tells about all of that. And, and the modern Fox's Book of Martyrs called Jesus Freaks. You ever read that one? You want a good book for reading? Every Christian should read Jesus Freaks. Write it down. Get your pencil out and write it down. Jesus Freaks. Go get the book. And just see what price has been paid to put the gospel in our hands. Amen? Come on, somebody. And then the British come on the scene, my ancestors. And the, all the crusades began. See, the British, they, they, they allege that the word Brit in Hebrew actually means covenant. And Ish means man. And they believe that they were the covenant man. And that's where this, a part of this replacement theology comes from. And they believe that they were the covenant people. And that it was their duty to bring the kingdom of God to the entire world. So they came in and they tried to overthrow different kingdoms and they would force them into Christianity. And so they began to colonize. But the problem was, they persecuted the Christians. Any person that wasn't a part of the Church of England, and just like the Roman Catholic Church wouldn't come under their rule, they would kill them. And the slaughter of Christians continued, even under the Crusades. And when they went to Jerusalem, they believed that the Jewish people were the enemies of Christ. And they slaughtered them. I'm not real proud of my, of my heritage. Because we're, I'm English. And the Brits, they, they're not, they didn't do too good. Amen? How many British we got in here? Come on, you can raise your hand. I'm the only Brit in the whole place. Okay. English? Yeah. How many Irish we got in here? I'm just curious. How many Heinz 57? You ain't got no idea what you are. <laughs> I'm a little bit of everything. Well, we all are a little bit of everything, you know. My mother's great-grandmother was Cherokee Indian, a Mayaha. She was, I got a picture of her. And uh, her husband was half Cherokee. So my mom, I got a picture of her when she's a little girl. She looks like a little squall running around, you know. <laughs> so we got all, well, we're high 57, man. We'll get all kinds of stuff. 
But we saw, I mean, we've seen such a, Uganda. You remember Idi Amin? The 150 day reign of Idi Amin? That was against Christians. They took a Christian pastor, put him in a prison cell. And for 150 days, they would bring one of his parishioners in and say, deny Christ. And we will let this person live. And sometimes they would say, don't deny the Lord. I'm going to be with him. Pastor, don't deny the Lord. And they would beat them to death with claw hammers. And splatter their blood all over him in his jail cell. Some of them would die saying, don't let them kill me. They would bring infants in and hold them by their feet saying, deny Christ and we will let this baby live. What tribulation? What tribulation did they come out of? I mean, look at Rachel Scott. Brian Claybull, I think his name was, said, do you, do you, will you renounce God? Do you believe in God? She said, yes, I do. And he executed her. You should read, read Jesus Freaks. I think she's in Jesus Freaks, the second edition. The story about her. It's an amazing story. So the believers of Smyrna, that what's represented in Smyrna is seen throughout all of church history right up to the present, folks. We just had a bombing in Boston. Right? That wasn't just a political statement. That was against Christians. Because what we're finding out is the Chechnyan Islamic militants have for years targeted Christians. It's still going on today. Right now in Iran, we have an Assembly of God Christian pastor being held prisoner, being tortured over there. And we're praying for him for his release. It's happening right now. Smyrna is still here. And Smyrna represents all of those that have died for the cause of Christ throughout history. History. And just like Smyrna represents the dead in Christ and the martyred in Christ, Philadelphia, if you turn to chapter 3 in Revelation, represents those that are alive and remain that are faithful. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. It says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth. Man, I like that. He shuts and no man opens. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? He said that to the other faithful church. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? That he makes that comparison in both of the faithful churches. See, Paul addressed this in every letter from the beginning of the church. John is addressing to the letter of the churches. It's pretty important to God. This replacement theology and getting it right. Amen. I want to get it right. How about you? They say they're Jews, but not, but they do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Folks, that can only be one period of time, because there hasn't been a trial on the entire world. There hasn't been a trial on the entire world. That is speaking clearly of the tribulation period. And he's saying to the church of Philadelphia, because you've been faithful, I will keep you from that trial. 
Speaking of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Brother, I am pre-trib through and through. Brother, we're not going to see the tribulation. The faithful, let me point that out, the wise will not see the tribulation. If it is, this is not true. But he says, because you're faithful, I'll keep you from that temptation, that hour of temptation. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man can take thy crown, which means it can be taken. Him that overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which came down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Philadelphia represents those that are alive and reigning. Because there's two people groups that Jesus is going to turn his attention to when he returns. It says, For the Lord himself shall descend with a shout, with the trump of God and the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ shall rise. Everybody say Smyrna. And those that are alive and remain. Everybody say Philadelphia. Shall be caught up in the air. And so shall they ever be with the Lord in the air. And so this represents that group of people. I happen to believe that I'm in one of those churches. I believe that we are a part of the Philadelphian church. Belief. This church also, just like Smyrna, represents all of church history. Because there's always been a faithful remnant in every church. I believe that. In every church age, there were those that were faithful to the cause of Christ and obedient to His Word. And there were those that were not faithful. There were wise virgins and there were foolish virgins throughout all of church history. And I believe that that's true even right up to the present. And when Jesus comes, He's going to take those faithful ones, the Philadelphians, and they will escape the tribulation. Now, let's look at a, a question that, just a question that I had. Did John see these two churches when he was caught up into heaven? Because in Revelation chapter 1, he tells him to write the things that you've seen, and he sees the description of Jesus. In chapter 2 and 3, he writes the things that are, which are the church age period. And in chapter 4 on, are the things that's going to happen immediately after the church age. Because the first thing we see in chapter 4, it says, He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and the Spirit of God says, Come up here which is representative of the church being taken up, John being in this present age, John being a type of the church, being caught up, says, come up here and I will show you the things that must happen hereafter. And so he's caught up into the heaven, and he sees in chapter 4 and chapter 5 what is going on around the throne. And he describes all these things, a rainbow and lightning and thunder, and he sees the four living beasts, and he sees creatures with eyes all over their wings, front and back, and he sees a sea of glass, and he, the 24 elders, and he, all of these things he's describing in chapter 4 and in chapter 5. Then in chapter 6, he begins to describe the beginning. Everybody say the beginning. The beginning of the tribulation. And we see in chapter 6 the four horses of the apocalypse. Apocalypse meaning the unveiling. All right, we see the first horse, which was the white horse. He said he was given a bow, and he went forth to conquer, conquering and to conquer. And power was given to him uh, to do that. And then we see the red horse. The red horse was given power to take peace from the earth, and he, he, that, he should kill, that they should kill one another. And so, this is the same description. Are you still with me? 
This is the same description that Jesus gives in chapter 24 of Matthew when they said, Tell us when these things shall be and what shall happen after this. And he said, Nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. He's describing the four horses of the apocalypse. And there shall be famine and great earthquakes. He's describing the four horses of the apocalypse. If you do that comparison between the two, you see the white horse, you see the red horse, you see the black horse, you see the pale horse. Because the black horse will come, and it says there was given to him a balance. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see that you hurt not the oil and the wine. Then we see the, the fourth seal open, and out comes the pale horse. And he that sat upon him, his name was Death. And hell followed with him. And he was given power to kill people with the sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beast of the earth. Then we see the fifth seal open. I want you to look at that with me in chapter 6, verse 9. Everything is just beginning now. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. Everybody say Smyrna. And for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. This represents all of those in the New Testament Christian church that have died for the cause of Christ. And there they are. They've seen this horse come out. They've seen that judgment. They saw that judgment. They saw that judgment. They saw that judgment. And they're like, when are you going to avenge our blood? And he said, not just yet. Wait a little while because there are other of your brethren that has to experience the same thing that you experienced. Now, who are they? Is it some of us? You've got to be here next week to find that out. Because <laughs> that's what I'm going to talk about next week. Uh, could it be me? This is the great tribulation. Uh, this, is, this is a not the great tribulation. We think of the seven-year tribulation period. But this is the tribulation that they came out of. See, those that... James, he will be under that altar. All of those that Nero hung around his courtyard, they will be in that altar. All of those in the Dark Ages, in the Inquisition, all of those will be under that altar. Why? Because they gave themselves as a sacrifice for God. Where would you find a sacrifice? Under the altar, right? They're all going to be under. Rachel Scott will be there. All of those that have been martyred. All of those in Uganda that died for the cause of Christ that wouldn't deny their faith. They will all be there. <clears throat> I just want to make sure that either I'm there as a martyr person or that I'm there as the living one. Amen? I just want to be there. Then we see in chapter 7, the very next chapter, beginning at verse 1, it says, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on the trees. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice 
uh, of the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And what we see in the, after that is he seals 144,000 Jews. This doesn't apply to the church. This doesn't apply to Gentiles. It is the nation of Israel. And it is fulfilling Romans 11.25. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the time of the Gentiles has been fulfilled. Well, what we're reading here now, the time of the Gentiles has been fulfilled. The church age is over. The church has been taken up into heaven. And now John is seeing what is happening. And he's seeing, here are the martyred. Here is Smyrna. That has been caught up. And here are the things. He's seeing the things begin to happen. And the angel comes up and he sees, he sees these angels. And they're getting ready to let the wind be released on the earth. To bring harm to the earth and to the sea. And he says, don't do it yet until we have sealed the 144,000. Now look with me at Revelation 7, chapter 7, verse 9. After he sealed the 144,000, he said, And after this I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindred and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb. Now look this way. Who is that? You see, when Jesus was resurrected, the only people that are in heaven today in their glorified body are Jews. Now stay with me are Jews, or proselyte Jews. That means Gentiles that have accepted the Jewish faith. Are you with me? Because Jesus, when he was resurrected, the Bible says that the graves opened up and the dead rose and were seen many days walking the streets of Jerusalem after his resurrection. And then when he ascended into the heavens, they ascended with him. These were all Jewish people. They were not from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. They were Jews. This is talking about the church. Let's read on. And they were clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And they cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood around about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said to him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now look this way one more time. That is clearly speaking of the church. Because all of those that were in the Old Testament times were not washed white with the, the blood of Jesus. This is a reference to Jesus Christ Himself. If you notice, that's a capital L on the Lamb. It's a reference to Jesus Christ Himself. This is the New Testament church is in heaven. And John is there. He sees those that are martyred in Christ. He sees the church of Philadelphia, those that are alive in Christ. All of those that have come through tribulation. We're in tribulation now, whether you realize it or not. The church has always been persecuted. It is persecuted still. Now, we're not persecuted like some, 
But we are mocked and ridiculed. The world looks at us like we're all stupid and crazy and gullible. Therefore, are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And that's another sermon. That's, that's a great sermon, too. How tears get into heaven. And I won't go there. But See, there's always been a remnant. There have been those that have martyred and died for Christ. There are those that still live faithfully for Jesus Christ. Now, when I read all of this, I always take the Word of God and say, How is this profitable to me? Because in this series, remember I said, not everything in the Bible applies to you. Some things apply to Jews. Some things apply to Gentiles. But it is still profitable to you. I mean, I can look at how God dealt with the children of Israel. And even though that doesn't directly apply to me, it is profitable to me. Because I can look and see, how did they get in so much trouble? Well, it was because of their murmuring and complaining and their disobedience, which is sin. Sin is the definition of sin is to disobey God. And so I can look at what they did and what he did to them, and I can profit from that. I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do the other thing. So we can profit from all of those things. So when I look at it, I want to know, how does this all apply to me? What about us? What about us today, right now? He said this to the church of Philadelphia. And I said, I believe that I'm in one of those churches. And this is what I want you to get. Are you still with me? Say amen. This is what I take out of the whole thing. He said, you had a little strength. And when I read that, folks, I have to tell you, brother, that blesses me. Because sometimes I don't feel so spiritual. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes I don't feel like all of that in a peanut butter sandwich. Sometimes the way you relate to me and think of me, I, I have trouble seeing myself that way. Because I realize I'm just me. And people that we think are great in the kingdom of God are not all that great. They're just people. See, God showed me that about the apostles. They're just people. And what I realized one day is there are no great men of God. They're just men. Of a great God. See, we think about, well, they've got all of this great strength. No, they don't. The church of Philadelphia was faithful, but all they had was a little strength. And it was enough. I was thinking about a pastor that was trying to, he was, he was ready to quit, man. He was ready to give up. He had gone off and people in his church had seen him just lose it. And he wanted to quit. And the counsel, that, the counsel I had for him was, we, brother, we've all been there. We've all been there. We all feel that way sometimes. There's a war going on inside of all of us. There's a part of me that just wants to just say, forget it, I'm tired of this, I don't want to do it anymore. And there's a part of me that knows that I can't. The Bible says I'm a bond servant to Jesus Christ. 
Remember I talked about that last week, what a bondservant is. You owe somebody a debt and you can't pay it, so you sell yourself into slavery to that person to work off that debt. That's a bondservant. I owe him a debt I can never pay. So I have given myself to him as his slave to work off the debt that I owe him. So no matter how much I want to quit, I cannot quit. I owe him a debt. And I will serve him. And he tells us how to serve. Serve with joy. So this pastor's willing to quit. And it's like, no, we, we all go through that. And you have to realize, brother, you're not all of that. You're just a man. And God will take you and, and He'll use that to build you and teach you and strengthen you. And you just continue on with your little strength. Because that's all we have is a little strength. And God knows that's enough. And this is the thing, folks. No matter what God has called you to do, you can do it. And when you try to do it and you mess up, and you look at yourself and you think, I'm such a miserable failure. What you need to understand is God saw your mess up before you messed up. And He sees the mess up you're going to do tomorrow and next week. And the one after that and all your mess ups. He saw them all. And still, He said, I want you. Folks, if we can just get that and understand how He sees us. He's like, well, you're not all that great, but you've got a little strength, and that's enough. Because, see, a lot of times we try to compare ourselves to one another, and the Bible tells you not to do that. Don't compare yourself one to another. Because we look at the great men of God. We look at the Heidi Bakers of the world, you know. To me, it's Mark Rutland. I'm, I look at that guy, I'm like, holy cow. How could somebody be that accomplished? That guy speaks five languages. I can't even speak one. Brother, I gave up on English a long time ago. I never did understand it. My daughter is about my granddaughter. Five years old now is studying, um, what is it, uh, conjunctions. Like, what? I got a degree in college. I still don't know what a conjunction is and what it's for. I never did understand that. I gave up on English, man. I just talk. I took the English language and improved it, man. I added some words to it, and I slowed it down here, and I speeded it up there, and I made it usable. Amen? I say weren't when you're supposed to say wasn't, and was when you're supposed to say were, and it's like, it's all right, you know. I try to get it right so you're not walking out of here thinking, what did he say? I hope you understand my American language. But this guy speaks five languages, and he is so eloquent, and he's, when he speaks, I'm sitting there like, wow, I wish I could speak like that. You know, he's got a vocabulary that I don't think the dictionary's even got all those words in it, you know. So, see, in my mind, he is great. But I remember this story that kind of, it sort of did it for me, you know. He, he told a story about a, a convention that he was invited to to speak, and it was a healing convention of all things. And he goes in, and just as he got there, he got a planter's wart on the bottom of his foot. And he said it, honest to God, felt like somebody was driving a railroad spike through the bottom of his foot. And so he's supposed to speak that night, and he's laying out 
They'd had a dinner. The worship team was warming up, and the lights were down. And he's laying out on the front pew of the church now, and his foot is throbbing. And he's thinking, God, I'll get up and tell these people how to get healed if somebody will help me get up off of this pew. He said, Brother, I was laying there claiming every promise in the Bible. I mean, you take a Pentecostal and give him a scratch, brother, and he'll claim every promise there is. And he said, I was claiming them all, that thing throbbing. And he said, and in the sanctuary, there was this boy, well, young man. He was 28 years old, and he had Down syndrome. And his name was Jimmy. And Jimmy was running around with a great big 10-gallon cowboy hat on, two double pearl-handled pistols, and a great big old badge that said Sheriff. And he's crawling around in the church, and Brother Brother didn't see him there. And he gets up behind the pew, and he says, Bang, bang, Pastor Mark, you're dead. And he said it like to scared the life out of me. And he said, go on, Jimmy, just go on, leave me alone. And so he said, oh, okay, okay, Pastor Mark, I'm I, 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 sorry. And so he crawled around the end of the pew, and he jumped up and said, bang, bang, Pastor Mark, you're dead. And he said, just about that time it occurred to me, and he said, I just believe it was God. God said, why don't you get Jimmy to pray for your foot? And he said, I was laying there thinking, I have got three earned PhDs and an IQ of 150. He's wearing a sheriff's badge, for God's sake. <laughs> and God spoke to him and says, well, it's your foot and let it hurt. <laughs> and so Jimmy jumped up again and said, bang, bang, Pastor Mark, you're dead. And he said, Jimmy, have you ever failed and got hurt and your mama prayed for you? He said, yes, sir. He said, well, Pastor Mark has fallen. He said, I've fallen and said, I've hurt my foot. He said, I just wonder if you'd pray for my foot. And said, he took off his 10-gallon hat and he wrapped his hands around his foot and said, Did Jesus, please pray, please heal Pastor Mark's foot. In Jesus' name, amen. Let him go put his hat on and say, Bang, bang, Pastor Mark, you did. <laughs> and Mark said, Oh, I could have done that. He said, But God is my witness. Within 20 minutes, it was completely gone. He said, now, I don't understand that. He said, if I understood that, why didn't God heal him? He said, I don't understand those things. And I'm, I'm listening to that. I'm like, amen, brother. He said, all I know is for one moment, God used a totally innocent, totally yielded vessel to let his glory shine through and do a miracle. This is what I want you to see, church. Jimmy only had a little strength. But more than that, Mark Rutland only had a little strength. But it was enough. What are you doing for God? You say, I don't feel like all of that. Well, folks, let me let you in on something. I don't either. But what God has called you to do, whether it's big or whether it's small, it's enough. God said, if you're faithful in the little things, I will make you master over many things. Are you faithful and small? All you need is a little strength. And folks, whatever God's calling you to do, you can do. A lady in her church came up to me this week and said, I prayed out loud for a person for the first time this week. And said, something came over me. I've never felt that way before. She went to see her mother, and she's in rehab. I don't want to embarrass her. I'm looking around to see if she's here this morning. I don't see her, so I'm going to name her. 
I don't embarrass you. Nancy Donovan. Nancy, are you here? Please stand up. Wave your hand. We all know Nancy. Nancy's very shy and she's strong. And she said she was in there to see her mother and a lady across the hall was moaning in pain. And she said, I just felt I should go pray for her. How many of you know the voice of God? Sometimes it's just an idea. It's a thought. And you don't realize God is saying, get up, go pray for her. He speaks to us all the time if we just listen. I thought I should go pray for her. So I went over there and she said, I talked to her and said, can I pray for you? And she said, yeah. And she said, for the first time in my life, I prayed out loud for another person. And she said, something came over me. I've never felt so good. Folks, all you need is a little strength to do the little things. And it's enough. That's what he's talking about. That's the faithful church. Go out, find somebody that needs Jesus, and do a little thing for them. may seem small, but it's enough. Amen? How many of you like to miss the trial that's coming up on this world? Amen? Be faithful. Be faithful. Stand to your feet if you would, please. You may want to write this down. It's a nice little slogan. Small deeds done are better than great deeds planned. Because I come up with all kinds of great ideas. But executing those ideas is a different thing. Amen? Rather than try to do those things that have such grandeur, just doing something is better, even if it's small. Small deeds done are better than great deeds planned. Amen? So find a small deed and do it. That's, that's my message. I said all that to say that. Amen? How many of you are going to go out and do something for Jesus this week? Come on. Find a small thing and do it for somebody. And believe me, it will not be small in the eyes of God. Amen. Father, we thank you for our time together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you see the faithful church, Lord. You see those that are willing to be faithful even in the midst of tribulation, even to the point of death. And God, that you're always with us, whether we are in that situation or this. And Lord, we all want to be in the faithful where we're blessed situation. But Lord, many uh, today are facing death for their faith. God, we don't we don't know what that's like. And God, frankly, I don't want to know what that's like. But if it comes our way, God, just like it has come the way of many people, we know that your strength is there for us and for them. So I think, first of all, today, we need to pray for the persecuted church today. Lord, there are so many today that we don't even hear about. It doesn't make the headline news. For years, Chesna has been targeting Christians, and we haven't even heard about it until now when they've come to our soil and have targeted this Christian nation. So, Lord, we pray for the persecuted church today. God, strengthen them. Most of all, Lord, if it's possible, protect them, Lord. Father, I pray with that small, still voice, you speak to them and guide them to lead them away from things that are dangerous. But Lord, if it comes to the point that they must give their life, Lord, I pray that your presence will come up over them, Lord, just like you did with John. God, they put him in hot, boiling oil, and he sang praises to you. It didn't even touch him. Lord, I think about the Russian soldier. 
that they sent to Siberia. They dressed him in fatigue, summer fatigues, and made him stand at attention in sub-zero weather. It was so cold that when the officers came out to talk to him, they almost froze. And he stood at full attention with the warmth of your glory all around him. And when they asked him if he would deny Christ, he said no. And they choked him to death and stabbed him. God, you kept John. You kept that man. And I believe that you've kept those that were in the Colosseum and many others. God, I pray for the persecuted church today that you keep them, God, even in death. That your presence will just overshroud them, O God. Father, I pray for the faithful church. That we will not be like Pergamos and say, well, I'm in and I'm good with that. But Lord, we'll care about those around us. Lord, we will not only not deny the faith, but Lord, we will contend for the faith. God, I pray that our love will be demonstrated in our life every day. Father, I pray that you make us like the church in Philadelphia. That even though we just have a little strength, that that will be enough. And that you will show us, God, just like you showed Sister Nancy. When there's something we need to do, God, that we will have the courage to step out and do it. And God, we will feel the presence just like she did. We'll know your glory. Father, I pray for every person that is under the sound of my voice right now. If there's one person here, God, that has drifted away from you. Lord, they had a relationship with you. They had a passion for you. But something has happened and it has begun to die. God, I pray that you rekindle that fire right now. Lord, you even offered the church of Laodicea a chance to repent. So God, if there are people here today that are lukewarm... Bring them to a place of repentance, O oh God. Now, Lord, may we go out this week and make a difference in the world around us. Holy Spirit of God, lead us and direct us. Give us every word to say. This I ask in Jesus' name. If you're here this morning you need prayer, I'm going to ask you to just come to the altar. I'll be glad to pray with you about any needs you may have. If not, I'm going to dismiss you. Thank you for coming this morning. Let me just speak a blessing over you before we go. Can I do that? Father, in Jesus' name, I bless this people. Bless their home, God. Lord, make it a refuge. An escape from the world, Lord. A place where you are honored and revered. A place where your Holy Spirit is welcome, Lord. Restore relationships today between husbands and wives. Between parents and their children. Siblings one with the other. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you, church.